You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Did you have a good time with family, friends? I hope you did. Um, I'm really excited. I'm honored today. Um, to be able to preach on Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses, which are the introduction of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, there's, I feel like I'm up here to introduce my best friend. So if you would, for a moment, if I was going to preach on explaining who Joe is and tell you everything about Joe in 45 minutes, do you think I'd leave a few things out? I, I probably would. The Holy Spirit has a few facets Joe don't have, doesn't have, you know? Like, to try, that Joe don't have, to, 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 to try to introduce the Holy Spirit in 40 minutes is, a, we're gonna scratch the surface of this, but at the same time, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do a disservice to one third of the Godhead. You feel me? Like, we talk about God all the time. I don't know if you can relate. I grew up to a church that sang the doxology every week. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But we never preached on the Holy Spirit. We didn't preach on the Holy Ghost. I had no clue what that was all about uh, for most of my life. My life was flipped upside down a number of years ago when the Holy Spirit became understandable and real. And I... The Holy Spirit was in me. The, you receive the Holy Spirit when you accept Christ. But there's something about understanding what's happening and partnering with the Holy Spirit that unleashes things in your life that you never thought possible. That's what today is about. Not a big deal. <laughs> a little-known pastor, um, Francis Chan, he, he wrote a book called The Forgotten God. Uh, it's a great book. If you're interested in learning more about the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a great book. The title says a lot, right? That we preach of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Or, um, Monica and I went on a journey from a number of churches, and that felt really weird. Trust me. I understand that the church is a body, and if I'm an elbow and I take my elbow to another church, I feel like that there's, there's something inherently challenging to say the least in that idea, right? Right? But we went on a journey, and I believe the journey was about the Holy Spirit, and we ended up at a couple of churches that opened my eyes in a way that they'd never been opened before. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our counselor. He's a he, third person of the Trinity, not it, but he, the Holy Spirit, is our power source for doing all the things that we talked about over the last couple of weeks about sanctification, this act of becoming the masterpiece that God already sees you as. Well, whose power do you do that in? The power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a lot. This week has been quite a wrestling match. Um, I love visuals. You know, some of you were here last week when there was a, two, two weeks ago with a nice big visual on stage. Um, the statue of David, seven feet tall, was next to me. And for those of you that may have been offended or to those that honestly, in all sincerity, perhaps um, were distracted in some way by the magnificence of that work of art, I do humbly apologize uh, if I caused anyone to stumble. I think that's an important thing for us to recognize. Like, we don't want to cause anyone to stumble. David is a masterpiece, a classical Renaissance piece of art, and that's how I viewed him. And I never for a moment thought that someone might 
struggle with um, the idea of me having him up on stage, even if he was sitting right in my face for half the first service, which I also apologize for. <laughs> but anyway, um, this has been an interesting week because um, I love visuals, and, and the Lord kind of showed up in a dream a couple nights ago and said, do you trust me? You're going to be challenging people to trust me, the Holy Spirit, and that's not always easy. That's a challenging thing to do. Um, do you trust me? And I go, of course I trust you. And he said, you're sure you trust me? I said, yes. And he said, then don't script your whole message this time. And I already had it pretty much written. So those of you that see my knees shaking, it's just because of my discomfort getting away from a written out sermon. So um, following the Holy Spirit in obedience is not always easy. You don't have to feel comfortable in order to do it. You need to be obedient. And if the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that person about me, then do it. If, you, if the Holy Spirit says, give some money to that cause or that person, you know, if that's the way you are uh, impressed upon by the Holy Spirit, then we do it in obedience, not because it feels good, not because I'm comfortable with it, not because it's easy. Amen? We can go home. That's pretty much the message. <laughs> <laughs> We are scratching the surface again, as I said, with the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit is complex. He is beautiful, he is lovely, and he is alive. And so to try to spend, you know, to do it in one preach. Steve, the previous lead elder here, has an 11-week preach on the Holy Spirit. So if you're interested, you can go online and find that. Uh, we're going to look at three specific points today. Uh, the day of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 2, will be in chapters, or verses 1 through 21. Um, we're going to talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit imparts with a focus today, are you ready? On tongues, <clears throat> because that's what chapter 2, verses 1 through 21 covers. All right, let me help you kind of get a grasp on what um, is about to happen here at Pentecost. Um, in the life of a believer, something is super, super powerful and available to you. It comes to you. I have a friend here at the church. His name is Chris. He was, the, um, he was involved in the financial part of the Lawrence Livermore Labs for over 20 years. He's still there. He was the CFO for a while, and he's really good with money. I mean, he's kind of a financial wizard. How many of you would like to be better with money and understanding investing and saving and spending and how to handle it, right? So this preach is not about money. However, listen, if you wanted his help, he has a book on, there's 2,350 verses or more on money and possessions in scripture. It's, it's two times more than the Bible talks about prayer and faith combined, so the Bible has a lot to say about money. I think we should be better about it. So if we, he has a book that he found that is about all those verses. So if I, could, if I could loan you that book, do you think that might help you? Okay. What if I could set up a coffee for you and him to sit down and you could have like two hours of his time, any questions you have, anything you want assistance with, pretty helpful? Okay. A little more helpful maybe? Who knows? Okay. What if I could set you up with a text loop Right, so you've got him on speed dial and now you've got questions and you can just text him and he'll text you back and anything you wanna know, he's there, he's available to you. Good, more helpful? There's a few surgeons in this church and I was talking to one of them about the possibility of an actual brain transplant. So, 
Maybe not. But anyway, if you could get a brain transplant from this guy, like, do you think that, do you get where I'm going? When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is transplanted. You, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit comes and invades you never to leave. Far more powerful than a financial guide. We're going to be talking about that today. It's free when you accept Christ. The reality is the Holy Spirit comes just as Jesus promised that he would. John 16, verse 7 in the Amplified puts it this way, but I tell you the truth, Jesus saying this, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Mind-blowing truth. Jesus promised that if he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit to us. Not just to hang a shingle out and be available you know, for an appointment where you could grab an hour with him, but to live in you. And not just with us, in us. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would go from being with us to living in us. I'd never seen this before. Look at John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus again saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Underline that in your Bibles. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. You might be asking, um, wasn't the Holy Spirit with people in the Old Testament? That's a valid question. Yes, in fact, uh, that's an important point. The third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, has always been. He was hovering over the waters he participated actively in creation. In fact, the Spirit gave life to humanity and other creatures when God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And this word breath is the same word that is used for spirit throughout Scripture. It's the word pneuma. And so breath and spirit are the same. So the Holy Spirit, God breathed the Holy Spirit and creation happened. He came upon judges in the Old Testament. He came upon warriors. He came upon prophets in very profound ways that gave them power. Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Saul, and others. Uh, side note, to me it's scary. I studied it for quite a while, but Saul, he, the Spirit also departed from Saul. That's different now. The Spirit has promised it will not depart from us. He actually filled people in the Old Testament and before the day of Pentecost. He filled John the Baptist in Luke 1.15. Filled Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, says was filled with the Spirit. Zacharias in Luke 1.67 was filled with the Spirit. But these were temporary fillings. Ha, never mind. That's a dental joke. Anyway, <laughs> unlike, that's unlike what was to come at Pentecost. And that being said, the Holy Spirit is a new concept. It's, the Holy Spirit's not a new concept for the apostles. Like, he was moving in and out and around Jesus constantly, right? And the Jews that were awaiting Jesus' promised return, not, the Holy Spirit's not a new 
uh, concept. He's always been here. He's always been moving around. So hold on to that idea. There's another interesting thing before we dive into the scripture that I want to point out, and that's that Pentecost, this might be new to some of you, Pentecost existed before Jesus. In the Christian church, we look at Pentecost about the day that we're going to preach about today. Right, but they were gathered for Pentecost. If they were gathered for Pentecost, how could they be there before Pentecost happened? So I I dug into this a little bit. What was that all about? The Feast of Weeks was something commanded by God in Genesis. The Feast of Weeks was a seven-week feast surrounded by the harvest. It was harvest time. So for seven weeks, you bring in the grain, and seven times seven is 49, and then you add one night for the Sabbath, and on the 50th day, penta means five, Pentecost, so on the 50th day, they would have a feast, and they would celebrate. So that's what's happening in Jerusalem as we get into the scripture today. Exodus changed things and tied, um, it, it was tied to, the, to agriculture and to the harvest, and then in Leviticus, they ended up changing it to Passover. And so it's interesting to me that Pentecost has actually gone through three different changes in the Jewish tradition. It started off with agriculture and it ended up with spiritual meaning. So it's always been something related to Thanksgiving, which I think is interesting for today. It's Thanksgiving for God's provision or Thanksgiving for, his, for grain or for salvation um, or for what the Jews look at it like today. The third change, today they've tied it to the Ten Commandments and the giving of that which they're thankful for. So anyway, Pentecost existed before Jesus, before Acts chapter two. The third major thing to kind of understand about uh, what happens at Pentecost is that a seismic shift in the cosmos is gonna happen here. Like, dramatic. The Holy Spirit is gonna come dwell permanently inside of people. This is nothing that had ever happened before, and I'm not sure that any first century people had a clue about that, and I think we take it for granted today. Let's dig in. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. The Holy Spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. I promise not to stop after every single verse here, but hang on. All the believers are gathered together. Last week, we learned they were how many? 120 believers. They're gathered in one place. They're all waiting. They may all be together because it's the day of Pentecost, but regardless, these 120 were together over the last 10 days on and off. Right now, they're all together in one place. So we're talking about how many apostles? There were only 11 a minute ago. What happened? Oh yeah, we cast lots for the replacement. So Judas's replacement is here. What's his name? Matthias. So Matthias is there. We have 12, but we have 120 total. So there's 108 other believers that are gathered in one place. What are they doing? Waiting. What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come. But he promised that 10 days ago. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. (laughs) Day one was probably tough. Day two, tougher. It's the 10th day of waiting for this thing that them, they, they didn't know what to expect. I mean, Thomas was already a doubter, right? <laughs> so imagine the hard time he's having hanging out. Anyway, verse two, suddenly there was this 
sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation that were staying in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. The visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, the whole known world. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd who had come running ridiculed them saying, well, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter preaches to the crowd. Peter, the denier, Peter, who denied Christ three times. But when Christ reappeared, he said, where's Peter? And called him to him and said, Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. So Peter is restored in some way because now Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And now he begins quoting Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even upon the servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank God for his holy word. The teacher in me has five W's for you. Who, what, where, when, why. But we're going to change the order around a little bit. Um, you can help fill in these blanks. It's coming right out of that passage. We're going to start with what? What happened here? The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit fills what? The room and the believers. And then the Holy Spirit empowers. So comes, fills the place in the believers and empowers. So the pericope is that part where right at the beginning it says the Holy Spirit came. So that's how we know the Holy Spirit came. Verses 2, 3, and 4 tell us the rest. There's so much to unpack here. Um, at the risk of going 
I think it's a lot better to maybe watch a video occasionally than just look at my pretty face. So we have something from the Bible Project popping up here for about two minutes. I'll be right back. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel. <laughs> but Luke continued the story in effect, called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored pe people. The restored people. How many of you are familiar with the Bible Project? Yeah, if you're not, you need to go find that thing and download it. We support them as a church. Uh, consider subscribing. You all kinds of great um, theology, um, understanding some things that maybe you've struggled with for years, and it's a it's a very direct uh, visual tool. I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, now we know what's happening, right? Let's look at uh, who. Who's involved? The apostles are involved, right? And all the believers. And is the Holy Spirit involved? Holy Spirit's involved. And then who else? Somebody from every nation? Jews from every nation. And they came running, right? So all the believers, the apostles, Galileans. What's the deal with that? 
Why do you think that's mentioned? Because the Galileans were tradespeople. They were not highly educated. They certainly, they were the last people that you'd expect to be speaking multiple languages. And every one of the apostles was from Galilee. So the Galileans were known kind of as um, uneducated tradesmen that there's no way. But why did they think they were drunk? They were speaking actual languages, weren't they? But if I don't speak Greek, then your Greek sounds Greek to me. (laughs) You get what I'm saying there, right? So to somebody who didn't speak that language, it was going to sound like gibberish. But those, I love how the video pointed it out. It put pods of people that had like found the people speaking their language and that's how they had gathered as the, the bunch of, uh, the, in the different groupings. The Holy Spirit's there, the devout God-fearing. So that's all the who. We're going to move on to the where. Where's this taking place? It's in a house. Wait a minute. 120 people? A big house. <laughs> and it's happening in Jerusalem. Because Jesus said, go back and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come, right? So I found something online that was really fascinating. There's a historian that's done a lot of research. And in Jerusalem, there is a church. It's an unusual church. Of course, those of you that know anything about um, antiquity and what happens in these ancient cities, they build on top of themselves. So in a lot of places, you'll find a very famous structure that's now got four layers underneath it. So there's a church um, that supposedly is the first Christian church in the world. The name of Jesus is inscribed in a first century AD block of stone in the foundation of this building. The fascinating thing about it, the claim is that um, synagogues, when they were built, had an alcove. So the, the seats would face this way, and right here where the screen is, there'd be a cutout area, and that's the area where the Torah would be housed. Well, in all of those synagogues, the Torah was aligned with, what do you think? The Temple Mount. So all the churches pointed directly to the Temple Mount. That was the spiritual center of the universe for Jews, right? Guess where this one points? Golgotha. Points to the place where Jesus was on the cross. Supposedly points in the same direction to Joseph's tomb which of course, when they built it, they would have known where Joseph's tomb is, which I think has been lost to us. But the importance of that is that we've taken this, the first Christian church is realigning the center. It's no longer the temple for Christians. It is where the cross and the resurrection took place. I thought it was fascinating. All right, so now we have the what, we have the who, we have the where this is happening, but when is it happening? It happened while they were all together, right? And what were they doing? Waiting. Waiting. Yeah. Now, maybe praying, but, but it says that they were waiting, and they, it was on the day of Pentecost, right, when all of those people had gathered from all over the known world to come together for that feast. And this is one that I didn't see before, but it's happening in the last days. Acts 1, 4, and 5 say, while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But not many days in God's timeline, right? Could be an interesting thing. The last days, the reference is from verses 17 through 18. So people are saying, what the heck is going on here? Are these people drunk? And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. The prophet Joel spoke about this. What does he mean, this? This event. The the prophet Joel foretold what would be happening right here, right now, when he said this. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. So even in this first New Testament Pentecost, it's the last days. I'm not sure how you feel about that. I think a lot of us like to talk about the crazy thing we're in today and talk about it must be the last days. Well, it was the last days for them over 2,000 years ago. Does that change your perspective a little bit? I don't know. I mean, it still could be the last days and Jesus could come like right now in the middle of my preach, which some of you might be relieved for him. But I mean, like it's the last days, um, but it was then as well. So anyway, we looked at who, we looked at what, we looked at where, we looked at when. Finally, and to me, this is the most important. We get to the why. And the first why, why does this all happen on Pentecost? Um, One of the things Monica brought up as I was preparing for this was that, you know, a lot of things seem to be aligning and happening on these special holy days. And I'm wondering if maybe we'd be well served to know these holy days and to know when they happen because there may be a good likeliness or likelihood that something happens on a day that aligns in the Jewish calendar. It's one of the reasons that we need to know um, about that culture, about their faith, and about the, 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 um, the holidays and the um, festivals that they still celebrate. So anyway, there's this powerful correlation to be seen between Pentecost and the Tower of Babel. So think of the Tower of Babel and the day of Pentecost like two chapters in a big storybook, and they are connected by this theme of language and divine intervention. So back in Genesis, people got a little bit too ambitious with this tower to the heavens project, and God was like, hey, whoa, Holy Spirit, I think we probably should do something about that. Genesis 11:5 through 9 says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. For some reason, he thought that was a bad idea to leave men to their own devices. So he said in verse seven, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. One other thing that I discovered that I hadn't been aware of is like they were building this in disobedience. It's not simply that they were being um, haughty by building this, that was part of it. But part of it was that when they got off the ark, the first command was go and fill the earth. And instead, they decided to all stay together, go to one place, and build a giant city together, and all speak one language. So in disobedience, they already weren't doing what God had said. He had said, go and fill the earth. So God and the Holy Spirit intervene here, and imagine when all language is lost. Now we're confused, and we end up trying to find other people that might understand us, and somehow through that, the people dispersed. The other thing I thought was interesting is that you see, let us go down in verse seven. Some think that that might be referencing angels, but I think we're referencing the Holy Spirit here. When God said, let us create man and woman in our own image, was he talking to angels? 
That's not necessarily a correlation, like if that's true, then this has to be true. But to me, it makes a lot of sense that he's saying, let us go down, Holy Spirit, and let's intervene here. Um, so that's what happened at Babel. Now fast forward to our topic for today. We're on the New Testament and Pentecost where the Holy Spirit shows up. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives all the believers language superpowers. They can suddenly speak languages that they did not know before and thereby he re- reverses the curse of Babel. He does this language swap, which brings folks together instead of scattering them. So what we've learned is that at the Tower of Babel, the Holy Spirit came down and he confused all the languages uh, and the earth to disperse them. But in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and uses all the languages of the earth to unite people. So in this way, um, Pentecost, also an interesting point, is the beginning of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, that's a mouthful. Say it three times fast. (laughs) Yeah, Genesis 12, verses two, three. That would sound like speaking in tongues. Just a little irony there. Anyway, Genesis 12, two through three. And I will make you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? That's the Abrahamic covenant. He gave that promise to Abraham. And here on Pentecost, as the whole world has come together into Jerusalem and the tongues have been spoken into everybody's language, they're all hearing the good news. So this is um, an amazing thing. 2,000 years later, the beginning of that fulfillment happens. And the good news of what God has done starts sweeping through civilization. Okay, we know what happened. We know when it happened. We know where it happened. We know who was involved. There's one other facet that I think we should explore. The Holy Spirit came, filled, and empowered, but we've left out the how because it doesn't start with a W. So how did the Holy Spirit come? The Holy Spirit descended upon them like tongues of fire. And what happened? The Jews... God's chosen people, now Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, the languages of the nations. And using those languages, they brought the good news of what God had done in and through Jesus to all the nations, and the nations are understanding it. But I said they spoke in tongues. How many of you squirmed? Just a little. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, I'm preaching. I don't know. The, Holy, the New Testament lists 16 spiritual gifts that a believer can be given. Administration, if you want to count. Being an apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, teaching, or shepherding, and wisdom. That's a good list. We have any issues with that list? No, there's 15 in that list. (laughs) The 16th. We believe that these gifts, here at Westside, we believe that these gifts are still active. We believe that they are still given to believers today. A cessationist is a person who would say, no, those ended in the apostolic age. All of those gifts were given to the apostles and to the believers at that time, but when John, the last apostle, died on the island of Patmos, those gifts stopped being given. That's not something we believe here. The purpose of any spiritual gift is important to note, and um, 
those, the, the purpose of these spiritual gifts are to exhort, to encourage, to comfort, or strengthen the body, and to demonstrate the love and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ to the lost and hurting world. And ultimately, all of these things, the purpose is to glorify God. But I mentioned 16, and then I read off the 15, and I left off tongues. So, glossolalia is another $3 word. Um, it is the term that's used to describe speaking in tongues. And, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, growing up in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, and all of the Pentecostal preachers that had found their way onto television uh, and the giving campaigns that happened, my family and I struggled like crazy with those. And um, I think for me personally, damage was done. And so when I think of speaking in tongues, I think of craziness and I think of a lack of order and frustration. Not now I don't, but that's like growing up, that's what I thought. I had this real discomfort with it. But here at Westside, we're not gonna skip things in the Bible just because they make us uncomfortable. And so we are gonna talk about this today. And I'm really excited to bring my friend Kelly up here. If you give her a hand, Kelly's gonna come up. And uh, I was praying in preparation for this, like, Lord, I feel like if we've got somebody in the body that, that, that speaks in tongues, like, I should know who they are, and I should maybe talk to them about this, and that would be great. And we ended up at a party days later, and we were in, both in the kitchen, just sitting there, standing, talking about, you know, easy things like the weather. And then, I, what happened? I don't even remember. I it was have like, no idea. Oh, you started it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit seems to be active and, and moving these days, and there's kind of a unique way in which that's happening, and you said you'd like started talking to a number of people about tongues like in the last well, two weeks. Yeah, well, in the last couple of months, actually, it was that I'd had a number of conversations about people who wanted that gift, but um, it had never it had never happened. And so um, the Lord was just like pinpointing it to me. And that's what I mentioned to you is, yeah, the, the, the Lord has been really pointing me to uh, lean into the gift. And, um, <laughs> and that's when my jaw hit. I'm like, I've been praying for this. <laughs> like, so, so um, yeah, it was just totally a God thing. I, had, I wasn't like talking about that with everyone or anything. It just somehow came out. Yeah. So yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how this spiritual gift came to you, a little bit about your spiritual background and what led to this day. I mean, you do speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. Other than that, are you a normal person? Other than that, very normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up... True, um, True. okay. Uh, I grew up always uh, like knowing about tongues. My parents have the gift, and um, I I didn't grow up in a church that like celebrated those things. Like I kind of actively shied away from those things. So I was always very intrigued by it. I really was interested in it. I I liked the idea of it. I just thought it was cool, you know, as a kid. That's what I thought. And so um, I would pray in my bed. I have these memories of like laying in bed and praying and being like, oh, God, just give me the gift of tongues now, Blech. you know, and nothing would happen. And so I just, I always wanted it though. I always thought it was really cool. Um, 
And so, yeah, it wasn't until I went to college mm-hmm. and I was got plugged into a little house church, um, the pastor of which, um, his name is Leonard Hernandez. He was um, just... <laughs> You know, the world is a small place, but the kingdom of God is so, so small. He was actually discipled by Steve Barr, who used to be the lead elder here, um, because Leonard went to his high school when he was a principal down in L.A. And so I just randomly ended up at this church. My parents had started coming here, and we saw this connection, and it was just just really neat. But um, this church uh, was really active in the spiritual gifts, um, and they did it really well. And so I was like very excited about learning about this and I was just honestly I was a receiver of the gift like the 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 gifts of the spirit are not just for me or you they're given to edify the body and so I was just benefiting from these people who were active in the spiritual gifts and um I was growing so much, and so I really wanted the gift, um, and I happened to go to a women's breakfast, and the woman that was speaking at it um, was very um, active in her in her uh, gift of tongues, and so she was teaching on it. She spent the whole morning teaching about it, and I just sat there in raptures over mm-hmm. it. I was just like, this is so interesting and cool, and I just love hearing about this and learning about it. And she said, in the at the end of her, you know, teaching time, she said, okay, we're going to break, go to the bathroom, get a snack, then we're just going to come back, and we're just going to praise the Lord together. Um, and so I went to the bathroom, and I went into the bathroom, and I was like, okay, in faith, I am going to speak in tongues today. <laughs> I really want it, Lord. Like, this is the time, you know. And so um, I went back out, and she said, we're just going to praise the Lord together. And then at the end, if anybody who would like to receive that gift, um, like, raise your hand, and we'll pray for you at the end. And so um, I was like, okay. So, But we just went into this time, and the Holy Spirit just fell. It was like the manifest presence of God came in that room. And um, I can't explain it, but it was just... I have never been the same ever since Mm. that happened. It was Mm. just like such an impactful moment for me. And um, I just began to praise the Lord. And it was like I didn't have to think about things to say. Just like all the attributes of God and all my gratefulness to him just came like spilling out of my mouth. And I was like, I've never prayed like this before. Like, I, you know, I always have to kind of think about like, okay, God, you're holy and you're good and you're, you know, like I, I am thinking up these things. And so I was just being filled and I was just praising the Lord in English, in English. Oh. Yeah. And then, um, I do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> so I was praising God and then at some point it just switched over and I just started praising God in, um, a heavenly language. And I was in my head thinking like, yes, it happened. Yes. You know, um, I was so thrilled by it and it yeah. was such an awesome experience. I can't even really describe how was, cool was it was. Was there a physical feeling like connected to this for you? Well, yeah. Like, I, I mean, you're totally, you know, able to control what you're saying. Like you're not like, you don't become <clears throat> like a robot, you know, being controlled, but, um, it's just, it's just a different, um, ease of prayer like I when I feel 
the need to pray in tongues, it's like usually during worship, um, and I just think to myself, like, I just have to praise God more. Like, this, what I'm doing isn't enough. I just want to give him more praise, more glory than I can by myself. And then I just feel like this welling up of mm-hmm. um, gratefulness and praise to God. And then do you know what you're actually saying when you start doing that? No. <laughs> okay. So help us understand that. So, um, yeah, I don't need to know what I'm saying. I do feel the feeling of like, um, being in the, in the will of God. Like I feel it feels good and right to praise him and, um, to pray in the spirit because, uh, Romans eight talks about how we, um, in our weakness, we have a weakness, and it is that we don't always know the will of God. We don't always know the right pray. thing to pray. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 8, helps us in our weakness, and he intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words. And there's some translation thing that I might not be saying that perfectly, but... <laughs> but it's in our groanings. Yeah. It's not that the Holy Spirit groans. The Holy Spirit yeah. hears our groans and translates them. Yeah, and, and so intercedes. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to know exactly what I'm praying. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a thing of faith. And, you know, like when we pray, we're always praying from our perspective. We always are coming at our, um, our prayers from our own human perspective. And how powerful is it to be able to pray from God's perspective? And that's what praying in tongues is all about, is that you know that you're praying the perfect will of God. Um, and, um, yeah, that's good. So what's this deal with interpretation? Uh, for those of you that are interested, you've got some blank lines. You might want to write down first Corinthians 14. First Corinthians 14 talks a lot about orderly worship. And so Paul's actually issuing some caution here. He says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Verse 27 goes on to say, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Unpack that for me. <laughs> Why? What, what's, what well, you... okay, so I, I think that what that's really referencing is like having the microphone and like addressing everybody. So um, I would never get up here and like pray a prayer in tongues just for you guys to listen to it, you know, for the sake of listening to it. Firstly, because you don't even know what you're praying. Right, okay. and so it doesn't... It, it, tongues is unique in the sense that... Um, uh, the Bible says that um, all of the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body, right. but tongues is um, edifies our spirit, and so it builds us up. Um, so I I don't need the interpretation when I'm praying privately to God, um, but if you're going to give a word in tongues, then you need to know that there's somebody who has the gift of interpretation, and that should probably be worked out beforehand. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I don't need to know in my private prayer to God. Um, and I, I, I pray in tongues in my little seat here uh, in worship, but it's not like I'm trying to draw attention to myself. I'm just under my breath, like praising the Lord. Um, so I, I don't see a problem with that. But if mm-hmm. you're giving a word to the church, 
it does no good. Paul says you won't know, they won't know what you're saying. And so you should just keep silent. Hmm. Is speaking in tongues optional or do you think it's necessary? Well, I think that the uh, spiritual gifts are necessary and I think it's necessary to um, desire them. Like Paul says, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues. And I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. So the emphasis here is that like, this is a very valuable gift, but he says, I wish you would, you would, um, desire and, and, and work in prophecy more because that builds up the body. So he's saying it's a very valuable gift and he does it all the time. And he wishes that all of you did it. Um, but that we should desire prophecy more to build up the church, to build up the body. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Why do you, why, why do you think he does this, this gift of, of speaking in tongues? Well, we have a need and this is how he meets it. So we have a need to know, or we have a need to pray into the things going on around us. And, uh, we don't always know the perfect way to pray. And so he meets us in our weakness and he allows himself to pray through us because prayer is not just for us. It's for affecting the world around us. Like God in his sovereignty has, has decided to work that way. It's not that Mm. he can't do anything with us or anything like that, but that he chooses to partner with us and he needs our obedience. And prayer is just one really important piece of how God works. So That's beautiful. Um, There's a QR code at the bottom of the last page of the bulletin. That QR code is from a preach uh, that Monica found this last week as I was prepping for this and we listened to it and it's it's phenomenally well done. Um, There's one thing in it that he says that I I think you might benefit from hearing. And if you don't go listen to it, then I'll I'll tell you this part at least, that he has the gift of speaking in tongues, this pastor from, I think it's Oklahoma. And he he says that that, um, we all have, scripture says we have um, a weakness. It says weaknesses, but he does this to deep dive on, on it where it's, it's really singular. It's a singular weakness that we all have. And the singular weakness is we don't know what to pray for. And so he gives the example of as the pastor being called into hospitals oftentimes to pray over someone and their family's there. And he walks into the room and he finds, you know, a 94-year-old who believes in Jesus is tired, whose body's kind of worn out, and their family is asking for prayers for what? For healing. And he goes in there, and his spirit immediately, in some cases, not always, but in some cases, his spirit is like not settled in that, right? And so he begins praying in English, and, he, and, and as he's praying, he just, he, he says he feels something where he knows the Lord, he doesn't know the Lord's will, in this situation. He goes, I don't know what to pray for. Do I pray that this person lives another five years because there's something that's gonna happen in the next five years that's important and powerful? Or is there somebody that needs this person and if they live five more years, that thing will happen? Lord, there's no way I can know that, right? And so he asks them at that point, would you mind if I speak in tongues? as I pray in tongues. And he says it like 150 different times that this has happened, nobody has said no, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, he then begins to speak in tongues and the reason that he does it is because the spirit meets him in what he has groans. He's like, oh, Lord, I I don't know what to pray. And the spirit intercedes and prays the perfect will of God. Mm 
So I, I just thought that was a really interesting, does that resonate with you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So full disclosure, like I've prayed for this and I've had people pray over me for this because I really want this gift. And I want the gift because of everything that you said. Like if I can speak directly to God in his perfect will, why would I not want that, right? So I've, I've prayed for it. I don't pray for it all the time and maybe that's my problem. Maybe I should. Only one time did I feel like maybe it was starting to happen. I was in the middle of a worship service. It was so powerful. I had uh, some tears on my face, and I just was emotionally getting really connected with what felt like the Holy Spirit and the spiritual experience of God amongst us. And something started happening, <laughs> and it was... And I thought to myself, is this, is this it? Like, is this the moment? Like, am I going to speak in tongues right now, you know? And, it, and it, it, it literally kind of felt like words were starting to come up. And then I don't know what happened, but I'm going to just say, in my humanity, I knocked it down and closed the door. Something inside of me went, I don't want to manufacture this. There's no way that I'm going to start doing blah, 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 if it's me. Like, Lord, so I prayed, like, if you want this, to, but I don't know, like, maybe the moment was broken or something. So that's my story. Should, so I've prayed for it. It hasn't happened. Should I keep praying for it? Or like, is this just God saying he doesn't want me to have it? Get ready. <laughs> uh, no, I, I see. I, I prayed for it for a long time, and, the, and I really believe the only reason that I received this gift was like I was just in the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. and so um, freely I was given, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that I just think that there's something to waiting. Um, like yeah. you talked about, yeah, there was, they were waiting, uh, for the Holy spirit to come and they didn't, they didn't stop waiting, you know, at 10 days, that's a long time. I've heard that they were fasting mm. Mm. <laughs> that whole time as well. I don't know. Um, but there's something to waiting and there's something to earnestly desiring seeking and, and seeking yeah. because, um, one quick story is that when I was um, at this church, this little house church, um, there was a guy in the church who he really wanted the gift. And um, so he asked Leonard, the pastor, and a few of the other guys to pray for him. And they went into this back bedroom, you know, and they were uh, praying and asking God. And they were praying for a while. And at some point, Leonard said, well, you know, like, we'll just keep praying for you. And like, we'll, we'll kind of be done for now, you know. And the guy said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not leaving. Like, we're just going to keep asking and keep praying. And I think God really responds to that. I think God really responds to the earnest seeking and, 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 and going after. And so, um, you know, I, if you have asked for it, if you desire it, first of all, he tells us, he like basically commands us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, if you've asked for it, it's never happened, I would not take that as a closed door. Paul said, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. And so it's not, um, I think it's for most people. Maybe somebody gets the gift of interpretation or really moves in power in a different type of way. But I think that for the most part, because it's a personally edifying gift, that it's for most people. And so I would just really encourage you to keep seeking and asking and desiring, and I would totally pray for you to receive the gift. So, <laughs> after service, come and find me. No, I'm just 
Well, this gift is one that's about speaking directly to God and uh, where the others are a lot about edifying the church, but I, I can't help but see the glow around you and know that the fact that you have this gift is part of what makes you who you are and, and is one of the reasons you're such a gift to this body. So you are edifying. Don't cry. <laughs> anyway, thank Kelly, would you please? I appreciate you coming up. Thank you. We are almost done. Uh, yeah, please. Thank you. That's perfect right there. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you again, Kelly. Um, what a blessing you are to the body. This brings us to the conclusion. Some of you very aware folks out there may have noticed that we haven't addressed the second why in your bulletin. Why did the Holy Spirit come to fill all believers? Well, the Holy Spirit came and filled believers to give them power and to be witnesses. So gave them power to be witnesses everywhere. And this started right away, right? The believers were all filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues, languages they didn't understand. What were they saying? Did you catch it? Like when you think witness, what do you think? You think about sharing the gospel, right? So a lot of us kind of get stuck because we're like, man, I have to be ready to share the gospel. That's all the things about Jesus, what he did, his death, his resurrection, all the theology around that. I don't know if I can go witness, which is sharing the good news, right? But this passage said that they spoke about the good things. In Acts 2, Verse 11 says the believers were declaring the wonders of God. So when they spoke in tongues, that's what they were doing. They weren't necessarily sharing the gospel. They were sharing the one, declaring the wonders of God, all of the things that God had been doing around them as they walked with Jesus. And I think you can witness to people by sharing the gospel, but you can also witness by openly declaring the great things that God has done, how good he is, how faithful he is, how loving he is, how grace-filled he is, how mercy-full he is. You can declare his name. We can share all of the things that we have seen him do in our lives, all the things we've seen him do in the lives of others, and you are then being his witnesses. The Bible says so. So how will you be a witness? Not in your own strength. Matt started this a couple weeks ago. Joe followed it up. I preached on it. Sanctification requires the Holy Spirit. If we are going to be doing these things, we have to have the Holy Spirit filling us and giving us the power and working through us. So will you be a witness? All of us have the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener. What is this? It's a lamp. Don't make the mistake of thinking that's you right now. It's a lamp, but a lamp is intended to what? Right? This is you. If you've accepted Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then this is you. You're not the lamp off. You're the lamp on. The power source is here. This is the Holy Spirit. You're plugged in. So the light has power. The lamp has a source for that power. And if you're a believer, you're plugged in. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor does anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. The Holy Spirit is the power source that we need to shine using whatever gifts the Holy Spirit has given us. We may look like a light, but are we plugged in? We're plugged in, but I don't know. I, I, there's so many analogies here that I'm not sure are perfect theologically, right? Are me, am I a 10-watt bulb? Am I a 50-watt bulb? Am I a 100? Do I get in the way? Did I get in the way of the Holy Spirit trying to speak in tongues? I don't know. But we need to partner with the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we need to not block the work that he wants to do in us and through us. Amen? Right? So Acts 1 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul says that he was plugged in. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And then the Bible says that we can be that as well. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8.11. And Romans 8.14 says you are a son or a daughter of God. For as many as are led by the spirit, these are sons of God. We talked about sanctification and about the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us so that we can become the masterpiece that we already are. Allow the person of the Holy Spirit to not only fill you and indwell you, but empower you to transform you. Rely on his power and let's be led by the Spirit. Amen?